Welcome to Ink and Magic, a podcast where we read and discuss the writing craft, world building, and romance of paranormal and fantasy novels. If you love books with bite, set in worlds of magic and mayhem, then you're in the right place. My name's Nikisha Shanae. I go by an S. And I'm Leslie. I write as El Penelope. And welcome to the show. Hey, Leslie. Looks like we are back for another craft episode. And we have another celebrity guest in the house with us today. I'm really excited to talk to her. It's so nice to have these conversations about craft with other people. Right. Not just us, you know, because we talk about this at nauseum almost every day. So it is good to get someone else's opinion. And not only do we have a celebrity, we have a magical being with us. Hi, Becca, the plot feel very celebrity or magical being but if that's what i am to you i'm absolutely gonna take it and like i'll I'll print out a poster to put above my bed (laughs) yeah so we have today becca hensley mysore becca is the fairy plot mother becca creates partnerships with authors from original creative conception all the way to marketing strategy when she's not building new worlds and dynamic characters she's looking for snacks or watching movies. Aren't we all? Aren't we all? And both Inez and I have worked with Becca and we know from experience her magic and her plot mother qualities, so. Why fairy plot mother? I like a good pun, I'm not gonna lie. (laughs) And plot whisperer, book author. And actually, um, years ago, my best friend called me a book doula, but book doula, (gasps) somebody else has the name. So close. Um, And I, so my, even my parents, because we, I grew up like fairly religious and they were like, what is this fairy? We don't like that. Why not pick something else? And I'm like, there were no other puns. (laughs) They were all taken. Yeah. Cause like story fixer, very straightforward, less fun to sell. Like, (laughs) I like a pun. Puns are great. I think we all like puns. And the little magic aspect helps a lot too for those of us who are drawn to the magic of it all. Yeah, I mean, I built everything around like even like the branding palette of Cinderella and, mm. you know, the idea of like inspiration and the clock striking midnight and yeah. inspiration and stuff like that. So it was a very fun, it was a fun process for me anyways to do a rebrand. But you didn't start as this amazing fairy plot mother you started as a reader yeah um i actually i've had like a pretty unconventional journey to get here and i'm really grateful for it but i actually started reading indie romance in 2013 and i had like just gotten married moved to a small town my best friend from high school lived in that small town and ghosted me, so didn't actually even see her. And I am an introvert, and I needed a place to... Whoa, whoa, record scratch. You said what now? <laughs> You're introvert? an introvert? Stop lying, like Becca. I can attest that I'm actually an introvert. I just can be chatty. <laughs> I'm excited about something but like if it were if it's I think the beautiful thing about this world that we're all part of is you have pretty immediate like shared topics to talk about like I could talk to any person in any room for you know at least 10 minutes be- really comfortably because we we already have like a shared interest. And it's really easy to say, hey, what did you read last that you really liked? Or like, you know, what are you really interested in right now? And 
that makes being or parading as an extrovert a lot easier. Mm, okay. Um, so like when we're at retreat, yeah, I can talk for hours, but it's all one-on-one -on -one time. I'm not talking for hours with groups of people trying to talk to everybody. Mm, okay. Um, okay. And then when I'm at like an event, like a big conference, typically actually only hang out with like two people. <laughs> um, but I also know that it's the only time I'm really going to see somebody. So I want them to have, I want to not, I want to show the best part of myself, right? I want to have like a really meaningful interaction with somebody. Um, so when I go home, I just go to sleep for weeks. <laughs> you have to recover from these conferences like me. Yes. It's like a, a recovery process. Absolutely. Yeah. Um, but, the, but the reading that got you because you don't have this isn't like what you went to school for no i went to school for fashion design guys i dropped out of art school <laughs> but i read a book every single day during like basically my first year of marriage a little bit more than that uh, my husband had just started law school like it was a lot and um it was just like it's such a beautiful and special thing reading um and I went to, I did journalism and acting and creative writing and stuff um, before, but eventually I became best friends with my favorite author at the time. Um, and I learned so much from her and it was like a really beautiful experience um, for the time that we were friends and one thing led to another and I just learned more and more and more. Now, now we're here. I mean, that's a really the, the fast and short of it, but it's cool. It's a, not the journey I expected. I was in tech sales and worked over many years to finally be here. What do you think gave you the confidence to step out of, to put your bookmark down and to pick up a pen and start to edit work? Um. So I was beta reading for that friend. Um, and then I was making other friends because at the time I didn't really have a lot. Um, and I, it was just word of mouth. And then when I was like, okay, could I get paid for this? It was Melanie Harlow actually. Um, when I was at my friend Katie McGee's house and, um, I was messaging with Nancy Smay at Evident Inc. Cause we were all friends and we're still friends. Um, and she's, so talented, by the way, um, Nancy at Evan and Inc. And, um, but Melanie, her, I messaged Melanie and she was like, Becca, you, you can do this for money. Like, yes, you can do this for money. I was like, oh my God, are you sure? And I think it's just, it's so interesting to see how long it took me to be like, to trust myself. Um, and I think that's been a years long process versus like, I feel all these people who are like very new to the space being like, this is what I do. And I'm like, oh my God, if I only had that confidence, like, you know, eight years ago, but it's, it's wild. But yeah, it was Melanie Harlow. Melanie Harlow was the one who like gave me the absolute confidence and said, yes, you can do it. Mm. Thank you, Melanie. So you do developmental editing. What other services do you provide to authors? Um, because I was a reader first and like first and foremost, um, I want to create books that sell. 
like more than anything, it's like my number one concern is like, can I sell this book? And are readers going to like it? Because the more that readers like a book, the more they want to buy it and the more we can make books. Um, and so that really translates to some of these other services. Um, I'm not doing a lot of blurb writing right now, but we will take and read your book and break down all of the different selling points and write ad copy and pull out teasers and excerpts. And you get this like massive document and maybe you're only going to use a third of it, but you always have it. Um, so we call that like a release Bible or marketing analysis. And I started doing those for Megan Quinn, I'm going to say in 20, early 2019, I think. Um, and did I trust myself to open up my books for anyone else? for over two years? No, no, I did not. I waited two years to like get any other client for that service. Um, and I still work with Megan to this day, but we do marketing analysis, everything that kind of can be anything from conception to marketing in there. So if you need help, like evaluating your brand or your social media, like there is a point where I'll say, Hey, we don't have that kind of expertise. Like here are some other like incredible consultants to work with. Um, but there are some things that we can definitely help shape up um, in terms of like writing books is not the only part of being an author. Mm -hmm. um, excitingly and disappointingly. <laughs> See, that's the point that I want to zero in on. You talked about selling points. Like you're reading these books, either do, to do an, a market analysis, to do a developmental edit, to pull out ad copy. And I'm trying to figure out, like, how do you know? Do you know how you know that, ah, that's what's going to sell this book? Or this is what's missing to sell this book? I think a lot about, I listen a lot. Um, I listen a lot to what readers and my, my friends, I have a lot of friends who are readers and I have a lot of friends that are authors, right? But listen a lot to like what people get excited about. And that's what the selling points are, right? And there are more technical terms, which like I've learned, you know, over the years and can apply those accordingly. But these selling points are similar to uh, Theodore Taylor's like universal fantasies. Um, and when I first heard her talk about it, I didn't really understand but I had already been like intrinsically pulling those things, calling them selling points um, for uh, for years. And so it's definitely very interesting because it's just like what gets you excited. And so I feel like when I think about crafting a story or crafting a marketing analysis, I like to kind of like pair this in-between space of Jennifer Lynn Barnes' Enlist and Theodore Taylor's Universal Fantasies. And I just bring it down into like the most layman's term possible, which is just like, this is how we're going to sell your book because this is what gets people excited. Like that's all there is to it. And sometimes what gets you excited as a writer is not the thing that gets people excited as a reader. And so as you listen to what people, yeah. like even you as a reader are not getting excited about the same things that you were getting excited about as a writer. Right. Because <laughs> I may have spent hours on a metaphor and people, when I realized that, that people are going to read this in like five seconds and I'm spending an hour on it, it changed something in my brain. Yeah. And I think it, it depends on like why you're writing, like what brings you to writing in the first place. Mm -hmm. I think if you're getting joy from 
the metaphor of it all and, you know, spending that time, there's nothing wrong with that because it's, you're putting out your best work and you're feeling like, oh, this is why, this is why I do this. Otherwise I could go and have another job, but like, I want to create something and, and kind of doing both, like mixing them together and finding that overlap of the thing I love to do as a writer and also what people love to read about and get excited about. Yeah. I think that there's always a way to have your cake and eat it too. Um, which I feel like is a controversial take, but I do believe you can have your cake and eat it too. But why we write is different than why we buy. And I like to pay attention to like, why are we buying this book, right? Because the more that we hit that reader expectation, the more that we fill them filled with joy and fill ourselves with joy, that's why we're reading. And that's why we write as well. This job is too hard to not do it for joy. Right. That's so hard, though, I think, as a creator, because I 1000% agree with you. I think that's when I started to sell books, when I started to realize what we're talking about now. And what I call that is writing to market, yeah. because that's where the readers are. If you write to what the readers want and you can find you can find that overlapping space of where what you love, what you find joy in and what the market the readers want, that overlap, that's that's where I particularly have found success but I think it's hard because a lot of a lot of us come into this business a lot of writers come into this business as artists wanting to be wordsmiths I think there's more than more to artistry than wordsmithery I mean yeah I totally agree but also there's so many surprising things that become really popular and that do really well where you can't you couldn't have said before that people would like this thing but some very popular books are kind of different and fresh. And that only comes from following your creative inspiration as a writer, as an artist, and hoping that the joy that you feel in, that you feel in it will other people will find as well. So there's there's a balance and there's I think there's different levels of writing to market, you know, mm -hmm. at different stages or whatever. I agree with that. I think at the end of the day, people hear write to market and they think throw out my artistry. I am only writing what's selling right now. And I better write it really fast so that I can rapid release and just hop on this train and like hope that I, I did it well. And I think we can't lose that artistry because it is what makes things like fresh and fun and different. But there's always a question that I ask people that I work with. It's like, what's the purpose of this book? Are you writing for money? Or are you writing for your artist heart? Because there, there is a difference. If somebody wants to write an eight book series in a small town about one couple, I'm not going to be the best fit for them because I know statistically it's most likely not going to be the most successful. I could, but I could be wrong and it absolutely could be because there could be something in that book that people really deeply identify with. Like they just really love slice of life and we're in a slice of life game sometimes. I don't envy you having to have that conversation with people. <laughs> That sounds hard. Uh, um, sometimes it's not always <laughs> super comfortable, but I also feel like if I am going to take somebody's money, yeah, I want them to be armed as best as possible to make the best decision with the yes. most specific data to their needs. Not always the most data, but like I want them to just know what they're walking into because a lot of times people will get really discouraged because it's not going to meet their, their own expectations of success because they're walking in being like, I'm an artist. I'm brilliant. Everybody's going to love me. And I'm like, but you subverted all the tropes 
and those are the reasons why people would have loved this book. Mm -hmm. um, and but if this is what you really want to do, like let's just measure expectations accordingly. Um, and I've definitely had that conversation even with one of my best friends, and she was really really mad at me. And then years later, she was like, "Yeah, no, you were absolutely right." <laughs> and um, I feel like my current job is just payback for all the times I didn't listen to you. And I was oh. like, "I am so sad for you, but also like if you." you know, your next book, at least, you know, will be, we know what we know what we're doing now. We have set expectations. And I think that is also the big part, right? It's our expectations as artists, our expectations as business owners, and our expectations um, as readers that help like define what, I don't know what that success looks like. Hmm. Hmm. So we're talking, um, about the book as a whole, which I think is hard to get into. Um, but can we, I want to bring it down and talk about blurbs. I know you said you're not, you guys aren't doing a lot of blurb writing anymore. No, but I'm happy to talk about it. Okay. I love, um, I still do them like just rarely because I've learned something, you guys. I am terrible with written communication. You want to get on Zoom? Great. You want to just call me out of the blue? less stressful to me than having to respond to like sit down and really think about yeah. a response. This is true. I, I think I, I, I want to take credit for this because I think you had this realization because <laughs> I could just, because this is my actual friend. I could just be like, hey, Becca, any help with my blurb? And I think we were just talking. One time we were doing a blurb, we were talking face to face and we were done in like 20 minutes. And then yeah. another time we were doing a blurb and I think we were just talking like in Facebook, um, on the Facebook. Yeah. On video. Thingy. Yeah, and again, we just had it done so quickly. And this is like an hour service of yours. Yeah. Well, I'm so not I doing can... this again. Nobody's going to send me any words again. <laughs> <laughs> but I'm like, if anybody can, I can do it on the, if I can do it with you in the, like being so present, that's great. But the minute that I'm having to respond to a bunch of emails, I shut down and this actually lends to how I write blurbs is I imagine everybody is neurodivergent like me. Um, and that is such an effective selling point. I imagine everybody's neurodivergent. We've got short attention spans now anyways, and people who are neurotypical can read a blurb for a neurodivergent person and process the information just fine. Okay. But a person who's neurodivergent cannot necessarily read a blurb written for neurotypical people and catch everything the same. Wow. So, okay. Yeah. And this is how, but this is, this is how I write my blurbs. It's why every sentence is efficient. Yes. Oh my mm -hmm. gosh. I wish, I wish I had a blurb to give to you. I don't, but I want people to see how you do this because she will just, she will just lawn mow your words and, you yeah. look, and you're like, wait a minute. And you're like, Oh dang, she's right. It was like, two or three like paragraphs you know of blurb and it turns into just like sentences just short choppy it's like taking like a longer form prose and turning it into flash fiction or something it's just like distilling it yeah flash yeah. fiction um i'm happy to to definitely break something down either now or at another time but that i have a policy that a blurb should be about 150 words. Now we're definitely seeing some that are longer form, like a Lucy Score blurb or Megan Quinn blurb. But at the end of the day, 
it has to be snappy. Catch me on the first, like, I'm really only going to read the first three lines of that blurb anyways. So it needs to be laden with like what you think is going to be the biggest selling point. Um, and I think about it kind of in how we build the book as well, um, like going to Chipotle or whatever. Like I want, I want the carne asada of the top. I want the guacamole <laughs> of the top. I don't want the lettuce um, or like, you know, the grilled onions like that is nice but that's not really what I need to be showcasing in my first three lines of this blurb it's really like what I think the most honest but top selling like trope situation in there and every line needs to be efficient so if I'm stating multiple times that she hates him I need to be either doing it for voice um, which is really important, right? Because yeah. your blurb does need to have a soul and it does need to represent like the tone of your story, but like it needs to be efficient. Every single line needs to tell me something really important. It's definitely doing it for efficiency mm -hmm. and everything has to, everything has to have a purpose. There's this, um, filmmaking strategy, um, like theory called every frame of painting, right? Like every frame in a book or in a movie, or TV show has to have a purpose and it needs to look beautiful. Mm -hmm. um, like to be able to pause anywhere. And that could be a photograph or a painting and yeah. every frame you could pause at. Yeah. Yeah. Um, and I love the idea of that in terms of a blurb is that every single sentence tells me something I need to know about the story mm -hmm. as a consumer to set my expectation appropriately. I don't need a summary because yeah. that's what I'm reading the book for. You don't yeah. have to tell me, but when her fear of commitment shows back up, what will the hero do? I don't really need to know that. You can just tell me that she's had a hard time committing earlier in the blurb. Readers are smart. They don't always read, but they are smart and they are going to pay attention to really absorb this information. Um, so short, snappy, to the point, and efficiency. Like everything, you only get, like I think about it as sales space. Yeah. You only get so much attention and sales space to say, so why am I going to waste the attention on something that doesn't matter when I could be telling them something that's really important or portraying a feeling or the fact that like, you could say like when, when the main character kisses my forehead, I question everything I thought I knew. Right. And that really portrays a, we love forehead kisses, mm -hmm. but B, you know, this is going to be a journey of somebody reevaluating their life. Mm. I can learn both of those things from one sentence. And so it's just getting that writing really tight. Yeah. And that's something that's really hard for an author to do themselves because we're so close to the story. Like we try to pull ourselves away, but I've experienced that, you know, in, I look at another blurbs and I can tell, okay, she's in it. Like, I don't need to know like, similar things. Like, you know, we can cut this, this, and this. And like, we think we're cutting it down, but it, it has further to go. We haven't gotten to the bone yet. And that's, I think having someone outside come in and do that can be super helpful. Yeah. Actually, I do have one. If you want to go through it, I can read it out loud. Go for it. Like, um, let me grab it really quickly. I just worked on some blurbs with our friend, Lisa Vino. Yay! Um, for a book that I worked on with her. And oh, is this the new bad boy office something? Um, Big Bad Boss. Oh, I'm I'm here for that. All right. And so this says, I'm the king of the business world, the alpha of my pack. No one dares challenge me. Everything in there says power. 
right? Everything in there says alpha, alpha, like every part, but it also lets us know that like, this could be an office romance. This is some kind of billionaire situation, right? Mm -hmm. Um, Except my new assistant immediately in those first four lines, we know this story is going to be an alpha billionaire boss assistant. That's all like we know everything that's everything we really actually need to know. To- yeah, if that's your trope that you love, then you're already in, right? Um, but now we're gonna enter into a space where it says, she questions me to my face and calls me big bad boss behind my back. When I give her an order, she asks me why, with all my billions, I can't afford some manners. And I love that section because it says like okay, if she can challenge him to his face, but he's the alpha, she's special, mm-hmm. right? If I'm familiar with the genre. Mm-hmm. Also, it says she didn't take any of his attitude at all. Um, and she's no problem dishing it back. And then we get the voice of like why he can't, why he can't afford some manners. Worse, the little human smells like temptation. She dresses to kill and I want to sink my teeth into her. That is all sensuality of what we're in here, right? It is forbidden. It's temptation, right? And clearly, um, you have the visual that she is attractive, um, mm-hmm. especially to him. And he's not going to be able to stay away from her because we're in a shifter world, really pressing in on those senses um, and the the carnality of like wanting to sink his teeth into her. Then this is my favorite part, the last line. One day, my control's going to snap. And a wolf never stops hunting until he's claimed his prey. Mm. So now we know that this is somebody who has an alpha, who's an alpha. He's on top of the world. No one challenges him. He has the utmost level of control, right, to be an alpha. And now here here he is. He's about to snap because he desires it and she smells so good and he wants to sink his teeth into her. But also he's a wolf, which is very important for the reader to know, like, what kind of shifter, like, hierarchy are they getting into. Um, But a wolf never stops hunting. So now you kind of get this duality of the CEO who is super powerful and in control all the time and a wolf who is unrelenting. Mm. Um, And all of this was she's counting the words i I always count the words 93 words (laughs) wow that's it yeah really need to know like there's more lore that's very interesting Mm -hmm. but i also always want to leave something to your reader to discover i don't want to tell them everything i want to entice them a blurb is an enticement and an expectation setter it is not here's what my book the entirety of my book <laughs> for you not read it anymore yeah. um, like, I want them to be curious because curious people a feel very clever but b curious people want that curiosity sated mm-hmm. and they get excited and it, the more we have that excitement and anticipation frankly the more money we can make and fan. <laughs> And that's kind of like what we were talking about with cliffhangers when we were talking to Sarah Cannon. Like the curiosity takes you through from it's in the marketing elements and then it gets you in the book and then it gets you through the book and loving the book. So if we can start it early, that is an excellent start to the whole experience of the book. 
I don't know who I was talking to, if it was C.D. Reese or Melanie Harlow, but it was the idea that every opening line should make you ask a question, mm. right? To like really pop that curiosity motor going. Um, and Melanie Harlow, my favorite book by her is um, After We Fell, which is like a very <laughs> long ago book for her now. Um, but the first line is, I should have thrown the pie. And I'm instantly being like, why, why, why is there a pie? Why right. should you have thrown it? What kind of pie? <laughs> so many um, questions. Great opening line. Yeah. And I think it's the, the same building that curiosity with cliffhangers and your blurb and stuff. Like they want, we want to give them enough so that they feel they can figure it out. So Becca, if, if someone wants to work with you, because again, Becca not only does amazing blurbs, but she also can help you from, from concept to marketing analysis. So if someone wanted to work with you, like what do they need to come with to, to, to get started? Um, I always say nothing. Like Ooh, you really, yeah, you don't really actually need, like you need, uh, you need a good attitude and you need to, <laughs> you need to like walk into this space and, and stuff. But otherwise, like, I mean, Leslie and I have done this where she's like, oh, I have this idea. And she tells me two lines, <laughs> right? And then we can sit down and build a whole space. Like you don't actually need to be that prepared. You just have to be willing to like, I call it getting naked in the room with me. Like we both together have to be very vulnerable about our own experiences as we create together and is the level of respect and trust in a partnership um, versus like, is straight up service. Like this isn't just like a cookie cutter situation. Mm -hmm. um, so you don't actually have to have anything, um, but you can have as much as you want to a point because again, this neurospicy lady um, cannot read a 40 page outline with no notice. <laughs> so, there's definitely a balance, um, but you, you can come as you are. What fascinates me too, because Becca also does retreats. We'll talk about that in a second. But I, I was on a writing retreat with you and I watched as you worked with super structured plotters, like someone in the room and people who didn't, who, who, who wouldn't even call themselves pantsers. And you, you navigated both situations pretty seamlessly. And I'm just sitting here like, how does she do that working with both someone who needs the structure and someone who's like, let's just have a conversation. I don't know if you could even, I don't know if that's a question. I don't know if you can even answer it. Like, how did you do that? Um, a, have weird brain can do weird things. <laughs> um, B, I've been here a long time. So I started really joining and being part of like the author community and the online reading community in 2015. And for me, Every artist is different. And I was able to see this, like my friends are authors. So like everybody has a completely different process. And my job is just to slide in where you, in those gaps that you have for me. Um, I do sometimes struggle with the things that are hyper, hyper structured because I'm a little bit more of an intuitive storyteller. Um, though I do like pacing percentage points and stuff like that. If we're going in a, into a straight up, like romancing the beat, beat by beat, I get a little overwhelmed. So I will not look at your paper. I will look at you. You look at your paper. This is and true. Then you can vibe with it. Um, 
But I think it's just the acknowledgement that everybody needs something different and being able to meet people where they are. That's why I can flow in with somebody who says, um, I don't know if you remember Ines at that first retreat, Jillian was like, oh yeah, I just came to hang out with people. I, I didn't actually, <laughs> this isn't going to work for me. I'm not, I'm a pantser. I don't really, we don't need my meeting time. Do you know if she still calls me now? Cause I'm she was surprised. a full convert because it's not about people need different things. People who are high, high pantsers. Cause I listened to your guys as Nalini um, talking about how she's a pantser. And the, the idea is, okay, we'll find something else because the whole goal of plotting ahead or doing all this is so that we don't get stuck in the writing yeah. process and we can look at things from multiple perspectives. Um, so if you're a pantser or you're a person who plotting, if you plot it all out, the book is written in your head and you can't actually write anymore because that totally happens to people, is the idea of like, we'll just focus on something else. We'll focus on your characters. We'll focus on your the mythology or the lore or these other things. Because um, the whole goal of the time at the retreat is like community, but also to kind of like build safeguards and new tools to make writing faster and easier. Because yeah. if it doesn't do that, then your money back. Um, but, <laughs> but you know, like it, it's so rare to me that we come into that space because everybody's just so different. I agree. Another thing, again, um, I guess we should probably talk about the retreats too, because oh, another thing that I learned and I was totally just a fly on the wall. I was just so fast. I love watching I, me being um, someone who loves structure and someone who loves process. I just like sitting there and just watching you with other people. Like, Oh my gosh, look at how she's crafting and building this world. And you weren't only building world for people writing romances, you're building a world for people who are writing literary fiction. And that blew my mind. How is it that you can deal with all these different genres? Do you read all these different genres or do you just, is it, I don't know. Um, I mean, I think a story is a story, right? Mm -hmm. A story has some kind of a hook, a reason that an obstacle to overcome. It has a character that on some level needs to be compelling because you hate them or because you love them. I read mostly romance and sci-fi, um, but I do read literary fiction from time to time. And I watch a lot of television and movies um, because Same. however I can input that story into my bloodstream, I'm just like, go, I'll take it. Um, but, uh, what makes a compelling literary fiction is, yeah, sure. It doesn't have the genre expectations that, you know, genre fiction has, but literary fiction is character driven at the end of the day. Cause if it's not character driven, we have very few things to like really hang our hat on in terms of like caring about it as a reader. Speaking of watching TV and film, I think I have a controversial statement. I think you train your brain better watching TV and film than you do reading books. I don't know why you would think that. <laughs> Where is this coming from? Because I think I because that that I think it's snappier. I think that structure is always there and sometimes in books I think people can meander. So I think consuming media, I think that trains your brain faster and maybe even better. Well, I totally disagree with that. I don't know where Becca stands, but I think that's a ridiculous statement. <laughs> this is my friend calling me ridiculous. So your statement is ridiculous. Why? Why is it ridiculous? Yeah. 
because we are writing books and books are different than TV and movies. And there's parallels. We learn from Save the Cat, for instance, which is actually a screenwriting book about the structure. But in the same way that when you adapt a novel to TV and film, you make changes because you can't, very rarely can you do it exactly. And there's lots of reasons why. But so yeah, the broad strokes are very similar. But you have, you're doing so much more. There's voice, there's, there's the narrative voice, there are the perspectives, all the different POVs. There's so many different craft things that that affect the plot and the character and how the reader experiences the character development and the plot that are done via very literary tools that when you don't have the visuals, when you're not setting up a shot, you know, TV and film has their own language. You've got wide shots and close-ups mean different things. And that is a language. We're using actual, the English language in our case, to create these emotions in a way that you can do very differently with TV and film. So there's a shortcut there with the actual picture and how you're framing it and then the, the addition of music and, and sound design, which is a huge part of it, which is 50% of it that we also don't have. So we're doing the same thing very differently. We're trying to tell a story and create emotions using a whole different toolbox that has some overlapping parts, which is what we talk about when we when we compare books to TV and film. Well, I have a I've got a controversial take to both of this. Then, <laughs> uh, first, um, actually, what I think has made me really good at my job is I watch a lot of crime episodics a lot to understand pacing, and so pacing in a book is really I, intrinsic. And I think sometimes it's easier to understand in terms of like, if I say, okay, watch the Fast and Furious reboot, which I think was like number four. Um, it's just a set of scenes. It's just a bunch of vignettes and it feels pacing wise really strange. Um, and being able to explain that in terms of a write of like a book is easier with a reference, I feel like, of something that's more consumable because a book could take eight, 10 hours to read versus like your movie or television show is 30 to three hours tops. Um, and so I actually do think that I learned more about pacing and the nuance of character development um, from movies because they can only have they only have so much like terrible dialogue and a in a movie or tv show kills everything right but you have to learn so much in that dialogue and really understanding subtext that i don't think that people because you can explain so much in internal and otherwise don't always do but my controversial take is that i don't always think that the best writing matters i think it's the best story because a compelling story is better to me than writing that is stunning. Um, Cause I'm still gonna come back to it. Like there are certain things that I can overlook. And so when it comes down to like general storytelling, I think movies and television are so important um, in terms of like understanding like in Bridgerton in, I think it's like episode three or four where they're in the gallery in season one and he like puts his, they link their, their fingers brush or he like puts his hand just above the fabric of her dress. And we're just like, oh my God, we could die. We could die. Right. And the goal then as writers is we're like, how do we transpose our feeling as a viewer, but also what they must be feeling into that text. Right. Because the acting, the wide shots, the close-ups, like, you know, 
the even the color palette really kind of gives us all these clues on how to feel in terms of movie, but it's our job to figure out how do we depict that in writing, which like is where we come into like building our craft and like the literary craft. But when it comes to straight up story, they have such a finite amount of space to accomplish a certain amount of goals. We as writers could write a hundred and forty thousand word rom com that's going to take at minimum fourteen hours to read. And or seven if you listen on one point seven five speed. <laughs> yeah. Well, and hours. It's so much longer. And it's like, okay, what I love about like film and television is they're they only have so much space to tell a story. Versus like we have the creative freedom. I mean, we could tell the same, we could tell one story over three books if we want. Um, but like, what are we giving them that we can't? But there is something to be said, like, yes. Books cannot be as easily adapted because sometimes we meander or there isn't enough of like an engine to make the the story run that keeps that viewer compelled. Let's get back to speaking her plot fairiness all over the place. <laughs> I think it's kind of a chicken or the egg argument because, you know, Bridgerton were books first that were very compelling books that people loved. That's why it became a TV show. Yeah. So it'd be interesting to see that scene if that scene exists in the books, how was it described in the books? How, how can you compare the exact same scene in a book versus when they adapt it, if they adapt it well? I think yeah. that's, so yeah, it, it's a cycle, it's a loop, and it's, it's easier to talk about films because they're shorter, I agree. But I think that Inez's original point was like learning, learning-wise, sure, you can watch, you know, four, four movies in the time it takes you to read a book. Um, and I, I agree with Becca, I agree with you that story is the most important thing. But story, a part of the story is how it's told. Yeah. You know, like you could say, you know, um, the Duke and Daphne fell in love and that's a story, right? Like there's nothing there. You could, you could tell it in different lengths and how you tell it just goes into the audience perception of it. So it's not necessarily about the best writer, the best, and what does that even mean? But it's who's the most effective at telling a story and making you feel emotions, however they're able to do it. And part of that is the craft also. Yeah. But the controversial thing that Becca said about it's not always the the beautiful craft, it's the storytelling. I hate that I agree with her on that, but but there's so many people that hated Twilight because they felt like the writing was pedestrian. But people fell for that story. It, a, a better example is so many people hated the writing of Fifty Shades of Grey, but that story. And it's again, the same story. It's the same story, yeah. And, and I would... Just that I, you know, I didn't read Fifty Shades. I did read Twilight, and Twilight captivated me through the whole series. I didn't even notice the writing was bad because I was drawn into the story. But I would say that even if you can point out sentences that are bad in Twilight, like the way she is putting it together is not bad. Obviously, like someone could tell that story: a girl moves to a town, falls in love with a vampire. I'm sure other people have told those stories before. But so yeah, the 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 craft of writing is different than like your uh, like acuity with wordsmithing or whatever it's there is something different there are two there's different levels at play there yeah, yeah. i think there's different levels at play absolutely i think that i still think that you're going to learn faster consuming television and film and then you're going to learn consuming the books i think there's a lot more breaking down and a lot more under a lot more like culling the information, like pulling it out of the narrative 
then when you're watching, even if you're watching like a mini series, I think you're going to get the lessons faster. I think that's just a time and efficiency thing. And I, I agree though, because like, I do think that that was like a big part of like, you know, my unconventional ed education, but I think that's more about right story, like general storytelling and understanding of like what makes an interesting character kind of like breaking down these more ambiguous concepts versus like the the technique of writing because I don't think that you can you can know all those concepts and like also be a terrible writer and therefore your book is not very good because you can't portray the, the lessons you learned I think you can learn a lot about story more about storytelling faster watching movies and television but maybe not necessarily I don't think that necessarily translates to being mm -hmm. a better writer okay. I agree with that yeah I think that's like I think that's the middle point in our triangle that we <laughs> going on here in middle ground <laughs> yeah. There, there's faster and then there's, but all of us grew up reading, you know, we grew up watching TV and films too, but like, I wouldn't be a writer if I didn't read, if I hadn't read books my whole life. I don't think I would be as good as I am if I hadn't read as many books as I've read in my I life. I feel opposite. I think that I became a writer because I love TV and the stories that oh, no. they told so much. Yeah. I, I read like picture books and stuff, but I remember moving over from watching Saturday morning cartoons to becoming 12, 13, and finally reading Harlequins, which were a completely different beast for me. And that's when I started to, to think, oh, there's less, because I love the lessons in the Saturday morning cartoons and the after school specials. And then when I started to see, oh, they're doing that too. In here, there's a theme in here. The heroine is growing in here. Mm. That's when I was like, oh, this is the same thing, but it's more age, well, I was 12, but it's more age appropriate. <laughs> That's interesting. It's like all of your, your origin story probably goes into your mm -hmm. philosophy about this. Maybe. Mm -hmm. Yeah. Where I was like a solid meat in the middle. I read a lot. I always wanted to be a writer when I grew up. And, I, but I also at one point was watching like at least 30 hours worth of television, um, which is a lot. <laughs> no, it's I mean, not. That's... Perfect amount. Yeah, it's fine. Um, and I think that it also breaks down into like what lens are you looking at this in though, right? Because you can watch every season of NCIS, but at the end of the day, if you aren't critically, like for me, watching television is not a mindless sport. It is a game no matter what I'm doing because I'm constantly breaking down like the character, would they do this? Would they not do this? Would they say this? Like, what's the red herring? Oh, if we think we know who the guy is before 45 minutes into the hour episode of jag we're wrong and we'll find out in about five to seven minutes i love that you do this i do the same thing see i never did that i was never analytical about it so that's probably why i wasn't learning a lot from tv yeah, yeah. And, and but it was the game i played with my parents like we played board games but my parents worked a lot and i was latchkey kid and that was our quality time was like watching these crime episodics basically and um but I think that's where like that innate sense of pacing can really come from. However, watching movies and television are not going to be effective storytelling, like educational things, unless you are coming at them with that analytical perspective of like, okay, why, like, why in Better Call Saul, everything bad keeps happening. And like, he's not really a great person and yet I can't stop watching and I care about his success right 
they're it's the ability to sit back and ask those questions, right? Which like, Anessa, you are asking versus like, I don't, I've only more recently, I want to say in the last like five years started to really ask myself, well, what made this book that I maybe don't, didn't love so like impactful and powerful? Why does everybody love it? And what it's not, it is the question of what are they seeing that I'm not seeing? But if we don't ask those questions, like, then we can't utilize any of those pieces of media to improve our storytelling. Yeah, that makes a lot of sense. Mm -hmm. it's, it's how you go about it, like where you're coming from. I tend to, even now, I can watch movies and TV more analytically, but I tend not to. I like to turn my brain off after I've worked and written half the day and worked the other half of the day and just enjoy it as a consumer. And sometimes it'll be like, oh, this is the midpoint. Oh, this is the you know dark night or whatever. But most of the time, I'm just like, oh, what's going to happen next? Because I, I would rather do that and, and watch it that way. And so everyone's going to come at it differently, like with everything else. I think the moral of the story is read a lot of books, watch a lot of TV and movies, and you will become a better writer or better storyteller. Storyteller. Yes. We can agree on that. <laughs> <laughs> Good. Whew. Oh, my God. Yes, I'm nervous. <laughs> 20 years of friendship hinging on this podcast. Oh. <laughs> you need to see us <laughs> off camera. <laughs> Becca, this has been so amazing and so enlightening. And you are always just such a joy. There's so much that you do, Becca. I think we've only touched on the tip. I know, right? right. We didn't get to, like so many things, I'm sure. We haven't even talked about like Hello Lovely Box. Oh my God. Yeah, you do a lot. You would, yeah. we're, if readers. <laughs> It's fine. It's fine. Um, I like making books that I just like, I just like making stories um, and building dynamic characters together. And you know what? And if I can put a pretty cover on it and sell it in a subscription box, I'll just do that too. <laughs> so uh, I want to make sure that our listeners know because some of our a lot of our listeners are authors so i want to make sure that they know like if they want to take advantage of the magic that is becca what should they do um first and foremost it's super easy to book an intro call with me on my website fairyplotmother.me which again i like a good pun guys <laughs> um and that's that's a really quick and easy way. I also have 60 minute calls where we can just hop on and you could be in a tight corner and we can turn turn the puzzle over or you could be like, I just know I have to write a story about the guy who lives in the dorm next to this to my hero and I don't know anything. What do I do? Um, you know, and we can just kind of go from there. And it's magic. Yeah. Before we go. We would love to know, Becca, and I'm putting you on this spot, like, what are you reading or what have you read recently that you absolutely loved? Well, I'm currently reading Caressed by Ice because I um, was listening to this podcast <laughs> and I got behind and I was like, oh, man, I just really miss that world. So I, I just went right back to it. Um, so it's fine. Um, and then I read something the other day. Um Oh my gosh, that was really good. I don't know. I don't know. Right now, like for sure, I'm listening to Caress by Ice. Oh, I read Wreck My Plans by Jillian Meadows. And I really love the way that she demonstrated longing and pining um, between two characters who, but still made it clear that neither of them were aware of said pining. 
I love a good pining. Oh my goodness. I live for a good pining. So that was, that was a really fun, like quick read for sure. I don't know. I've, I'm like, just kidding. I know everything I've been reading. It's so fun. Um, but those are the two that it, like came quickest to me. Well, I'm looking forward to Big Bad Alpha Boss. I'm, I'm no, sorry, Lee and Renee, I know I'm butchering the name of that, but I, I need to go and cry and beg for an arc of that. But in the meantime, I have, we were talking um, about Marriage of Convenience and I've fallen down the Noel Adams book hole and Yay. I am right now, <laughs> I'm right now on uh, the Trophy Wife series. Yes. Yeah. Oh, I read The Favor by Susan Wright. Ooh. That was Marriage of Convenience, and that was Ooh, Ooh nice. It gave, it gave me, like, big um, Beast of Bestwick by Amelie Ooh. Howard kind of yeah. vibes. Yep, yep. Um, where he's got this, like, home, but it's boss employee. Um, and he comes in and is like, you owe me a favor. This is what I want this favor to be. I need you to marry me. Oh, I love it. And she's like, <laughs> of all the things, like you, you just, it's marriage, marriage that you want from me. First of all, I'm your assistant. And second of all, like, that seems pretty aggressive for a favor. He's like, <laughs> well, do you go back on your word? Mm. And she's like, no, I don't. I'm just like, are you sure? <laughs> um, it's really, really, I just loved it so much for a marriage of convenience. Would recommend. Nice. On the TBR. Great. Thanks, Becca. I know, right? More. I'm currently reading Kelly Armstrong's A Rip Through Time. And yeah, I was looking for like some sort of time travel. And I love Kelly. We were in an anthology she together. Did you do the werewolf one, the werewolves in Canada? Yes. She had the TV show. Oh. Yeah. So she's awesome. And so far, so good. It's like Scotland, this American woman goes to Scotland and gets pulled back through time to like 1869, I think it is. Still early days, but it's, I'm hooked. Nice. Huh. We've got some reading to do this. Always. Always. Never we stop. I mean, never stops. But no. guys, we would like to thank you so much for joining us, especially listening to our friend Becca. And please let us know what you think of this episode. You can leave a comment on YouTube with your thoughts. You can share it with a friend who loves romance. And please rate and review us on Apple Podcasts or Spotify. And you can always check out our book schedule on our website, inkandmagic.net, so that you can read along as we go through the Side Changeling series. And we'll see you next time. Bye. Bye.